In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the twelfth Sunday after Pentecost, so we are about halfway through the green season. We're about halfway to the end of the season after Pentecost, uh, which is the last Sunday of November. And so uh, we're halfway through our uh, walk through St. Matthew's Gospel. And here in chapter 16, we are still around the Sea of Galilee, and we're still watching uh, Jesus uh, move from side to side of the lake. He's uh, taken boats now several times across the water as he removes himself from the crowds, and he goes to a new district or, or city to teach. And we've already seen the Pharisees come up from Jerusalem once to uh, kind of interrogate him, and they've done that again just before uh, these verses here. So uh, after he's... Um, healed the daughter of the Canaanite woman, which we read last week, and, uh, and that uh, he, he heals more people in her region. And then uh, the Pharisees come and they interrogate him, and they demand a sign. And this is where Jesus says, the only sign that you'll be given is the sign of Jonah. And so he's referring to his own death and three days in the tomb. Uh, he is uh, fulfilling what Jonah foretold, that he would uh, die and that he would rise again into new life. And so then he tells the disciples to beware the teaching of the Pharisees, to beware their leaven, as he calls it. And we know that leaven is a wonderful uh, kind of an image for us that just a little bit can affect uh, the whole lot. And sometimes we think of that as only a negative example, but it can be a positive one too. We too can be leaven in our communities. We can be leaven in our own homes. We can bring just a little bit of grace or mercy or kindness and watch it expand and where we are. So he tells them to beware the teaching of the Pharisees, and then he gets right to the heart of uh, what's important as far as teaching and understanding goes. And what's really at the heart of the scriptures, what's really at the heart of the message here is, who is Jesus? That's the central question that we have to have answered. Who is Jesus? If we believe that he's just a prophet, uh, we believe that he's just another one of the prophets, then uh, we just simply listen to his teaching and we move on. Uh, Just a prophet can't save us. Uh, Even if we believe that he's the Christ, the Messiah, one who's come uh, to to save Israel or to save uh, Judea, this is so much a a political message uh, that it's not going to have the power of who we know Jesus to be, who is the Son of God. And so we get three different messages here, three different titles about who Jesus is. Jesus gives the first one. Uh, Jesus' question to the disciples is, uh, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And so when we hear that phrase or that title, the Son of Man, we should uh, be thinking directly back to Daniel. You remember that Daniel is the one that has the vision of the Son of Man. He says he sees one who looks like the Ancient of Days. Uh, This is the Father, right, in heaven. He sees one who is like the Father, uh, who is like the Son of Man coming in glory. So he's saying that he sees this image of one who looks like a man, but is so much more than a man, is God himself. And so Daniel's vision is of the God-man. He puts those two things together. He says he looked like a man, but he was God. And so uh, this is the title that Jesus uses to describe himself. So the Son of Man is talking about his humanity, but it's also talking about his Godhead. It is a perfect expression of Jesus being both God and man at the same time. And so then Peter... uh, 
gives this uh, wonderful exposition of who he is. He, he names Jesus, and maybe the fullest way that we see Jesus named, and uh, the Lord is quick to say, you didn't just figure this out on your own. This is a revelation given to you by God, just in the same way that Daniel received that revelation of Christ as the Son of Man. Uh, St. Peter also has received a revelation from the Father, and he gives Jesus two titles. He calls him Christ, and he calls him Son of the Living God. So who is the Christ? This is the Greek word, Christos, uh, that means the, the anointed one, right? And this is a translation, if you will, of the Hebrew word, which is Mashiach, the anointed one. This is saying the one who has been anointed by God. And you'll remember that anointing, that pouring over with oil, just like we do in baptism, is how the kings were, uh, were anointed and how the prophets are anointed. So this is saying this person has been set aside for God's task. And the, the Christos, the Mashiach, the anointed one, is set aside for the salvation of Israel. He's supposed to save Israel. Some people saw this as political salvation, that he was going to be somebody like Judas Maccabee. Judas Maccabee and his family kicked the Greeks out of Judea. You remember that uh, Alexander the Great comes through in about 330 BC and so the whole region speaks Greek because of these uh, Greek invaders and there's uh, Antiochus, his general, that goes up into the temple and he goes into the Holy of Holies and he desecrates it. And so the, the Jews have been living under uh, this uh, Greek rule and Judah and his brothers uh, kick the Greeks out and they reconsecrate the temple, right? They remake it to be holy. And uh, they have the miracle of Hanukkah, which is the eight days of oil, right? They only had enough for one day, but it lasts eight days. Just enough time for them to, to get new oil consecrated. And so this is the kind of person that they were thinking that uh, the Christ would be, that he would be this kind of uh, political leader, that he would be this general, that he would kick the Romans out, that he would kick the Syrians out, that he would secure them from all their border enemies, and that he would make them a strong kingdom again. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm all of that, but so much more, because your enemies are not the Greeks and the Romans, your enemies are sin and death. And I'm going to lead you away from your true enemy. He's not a political enemy. He's not a, uh, an enemy that you can see. He is your own sin and your death. And so the Messiah that Jesus is is so much greater than a political leader, thanks be to God. Right? We're not waiting for a politician or a general to save us. But this is God himself who saves us from sin and death. And then we have this third title, finally, which is the Son of God, the Son of the Living God. And there is a common, um, I'm not even sure if I would use the word heresy, just a common mistake, I think, that people make in saying that we are the children of God. We're creatures. We were made. We were made just like ducks and geese and rocks. We're creatures who were made by God, right? made for his service and for his glory, but made by God. We can become children of God, but we do that through baptism. We become adopted. And being adopted is not second class. Being adopted is a wonderful thing. Being adopted by God is the best thing that can happen to any of us. We're brought into his family and we learn how it is that God lives in his kingdom, his, his kingdom family. So we're brought in, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven through baptism and through instruction, through uh, daily reading of scripture and receiving holy communion. We become citizens. 
But Jesus is the Son of God. God can only beget God. Just like I can only beget people. Right? When I beget, I beget people. They look like me. They talk like me. They walk like me. Right? They have the same mistakes that I have. They have the same uh, things that I have. Right? So they're like me. I can only beget those out of my being. Right? So they die. They get sick and die like me. God begets God. God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. So Jesus is eternal. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we're saying He has all the attributes of God because He is begotten by God. He is of one being with the Father. And so now we've heard that this is the, the Son of Man, who comes in the vision to save his people. He is the Christ who frees us from sin and death, and he is God himself. He's not just merely a prophet. He fulfills the role of a prophet, but he's so much more. And the only way that we can really understand this is to understand our history. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, if you want to understand what God's doing, you have to understand what God has done. The only way to understand what God's doing is to understand what God has done. It's just like playing music. If you want to to write a new tune, you can't just all of a sudden start writing music. You've got to learn music, right? You've got to learn the notes. You've got to play other people's music for a while. And then you get a knowledge of music and understanding. And then you can write your own music. It would be foolish to think one day without knowing how to play an instrument or without knowing how to write music or without playing other people's music that I'm just going to go and start playing it. It's the same way with God. If we want a revelation from God, if we want to know who God is, if we want to know what He's doing... We have to know what he's done. And the only way that we know that is to know salvation history as we read it in scripture. And so that's why Isaiah is going back and he's saying, you have to look from where you came from. You have to look at the rock, the source of your salvation. You have to see what it is that he did for Abraham. You have to know what it is that he did for Sarah. And you have to know what the Garden of Eden is. You have to know God's plan, that his plan was to have us in paradise. And he brings us back to paradise through Abraham and Sarah, through their, their faith. And so Isaiah says, if you want to know who you are and what you're supposed to do, you have to know these things. You have to know this history. And this isn't like a, oh, remember the good old days? Kind of a history, the way some people read history. Oh, I wish things were back the way they were. That's not this kind of a history. This is the kind of history that we read and we learn and understand so that we can live according to today so that we know what it is that we're doing today. And St. Paul is saying the same thing when he talks about the Jews. He's saying, if you want to know uh, how, how much on a razor's edge you're sitting, look at what happened to the Jews that disbelieved. Look at how that they were cut off. Don't think that you can just simply rest on your baptism. Don't think that you can simply rest on the promises that God made to you. Uh, you have to participate in those promises. You have to see what he's doing and you have to acknowledge it day in, day out. You can't just receive the promise and then go on about your life. You have to be participating in his righteousness. Don't be fooled and think that we can just go off and live lives of sin. And so he's warning us about that. And indeed, he warns us about that at the same time that he promises us God's mercy. And he says, all are left to sin so that God can prove his mercy, so that he can prove the strength uh, 
of his arm. But that's what we're depending on. We're depending on God's mercy. And the only way that we get that mercy is if we participate in that mercy. Right? This is what Jesus' parables tell us over and over again. We can't count on God's mercy if we too don't practice mercy. Right? This is the danger of saying the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as, in the same way that, we forgive the sins of others. So if we want God's mercy, we have to be a merciful people. So why is it so important that we know who Jesus is? The world says, oh, doctrine, dogma, it's a bad word. Dogma is essential because it tells us who God is. And if we don't know who Jesus is, we don't know how to respond to him. If we don't know that he's God, we can't worship him. If we don't know that he's the Messiah, we can't look for salvation from sin. If we don't know that he too is man, that he took our flesh upon him, then we don't know that we have been saved and transformed. And if we don't know that God meant us for paradise, we do not know where it is that we are going. Eden was not a mistake. Eden was not a mistake. He means us for paradise. He means us to dwell with him in his kingdom. And he would adopt us as his sons and daughters that we might live there with him in glory everlasting.